For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, this is going to be a bit of a different kind of Sunday morning. We have been up to this very morning going through verse by verse the book of Proverbs. And we have finished chapter 28 of Proverbs with chapter 29 of Proverbs to follow, which incidentally will be the last chapter of Solomonic Proverbs, Proverbs from King Solomon. And then we'll move into chapters 30 and 31 where there are Proverbs from Agur and Lemuel's mother and Lemuel. And we will be richly, richly taught like a feast, especially as we hit, of course, as you know, Proverbs chapter 31, with the final section being the virtues of the godly woman. And so we're fast approaching the end of the book of Proverbs, but because I don't really want to start Proverbs 29 this morning and then have a Sunday where we're off when we're hearing from Pastor John Glass, I decided this morning that we would do something very, very different And I think it'll be very richly edifying to you. And I want also to mention our service tonight where I'll do sort of a part two. This morning I want to do a part one of praying through the Psalms. Praying through the Psalms. Now we're going to talk much more practically tonight about how to exactly do that. So if you're a guest with us, we'd welcome you back tonight, of course. But if you're only going to be here for this morning, I want to talk this morning as a preparation for the Lord's Supper and really keying in on key psalms in which Jesus himself was meditating upon, that he was thinking in his earthly ministry, especially in his dying on the cross. And so I want to take you through some selected psalms so that you and I might be able to meditate upon them and even pray them back to the Lord. I don't know if you've ever done that as a Christian, but as a spiritual exercise, it is one of the most exhilarating and exciting and spiritually moving disciplines, exercises that that you can do as a Christian. And I want to talk about some of these selected psalms and how to pray them back to God. I do believe that it is possible to do that. Now, of course... There are historical and geographical and linguistic and social barriers between the way we live in the 21st century and the way King David, for instance, lived in his own day. And certainly there are things for which we would not apply to us uh, very readily. But we can, in one sense, spiritually apply all of it to us in some way or another. And so for our meditation upon the cross of Jesus, I want you to go through with me some of these psalms, and then I want to encourage you in your own heart to think of them as you think of the cross of Jesus, and then I'm actually going to give you some moments alone together in this service before we receive the Lord's table where you will silently pray these back to the Lord, or maybe even any other psalm that you want to do. So For our setting, I want you to turn, for instance, in your Bibles to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. We'll go through just a few psalms, and we won't even be able, because of our time, to go through 
each of these psalms in detail, but I do want you to see both in Jesus' earthly ministry, especially as he was going quickly to the cross, and then even Jesus on the cross, and how he himself was meditating through the reciting of these psalms from his own heart and lips. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. If you were to pray through this psalm, you would be thinking of thoughts like this. Psalm 2.1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Is it not so that we have many rulers, many leaders in our world who rage against the Lord and against His anointed, Jesus Christ? Surely it is so. Most of them, in fact, the vast majority of them. They don't love our God. They don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. And they rage. And for instance, if you were praying through this psalm from your own heart to the Lord, you could pray back to Him, for instance, Lord, yes, it is true that the nations of the world rage against You. May it not be so, Lord. May Jesus Christ and all that is within Him and all that is about Him May the whole earth be filled with His glory. You see how easily you can pray through these psalms using your own words? Look at verse 4 of Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them, that is all who rage against Him, the Lord holds them in derision. And notice what the Lord will do. Verse 5. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. It's as though the psalmist is saying, Yes, they hold the Lord in derision, but one day the Lord will hold them in derision Himself, and the Lord will terrify them in His fury. And as you pray that back to the Lord, Lord, if indeed this is going to be the case, may you be glorified even in your bringing of wrath. Verse 7, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me. And here's this oft-repeated phrase, even in the New Testament, even about Jesus Himself. Here's what God the Father says about God the Son. You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Doesn't that sound familiar? For instance, look in your Bibles at Acts chapter 13. Do you want to know who else was meditating upon that psalm? Well, it was Paul. Paul was meditating upon that psalm because when he had the opportunity to preach and when he had the opportunity to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, notice how he uses this psalm. Acts chapter 13, verse 30. But God, that is God the Father, Paul says, raised Him, Jesus, 
from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that He raised Him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, He says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Paul found it so easy in his own meditation and in his own preaching to refer back to this psalm and refer to it in the context of speaking of Jesus being resurrected from the dead. If you know that, even if you just go to a concordance and you find where these passages are elsewhere stated, you can pray them back to the Lord. Lord, thank you that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is your Son. You begot Him from eternity past, throughout eternity future. Thank you that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Verse 9 of Psalm 2, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, here are how the kings are supposed to respond. Be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Some of your translations may say, pay homage to the sun. Worship the sun. In other words, wake up kings. Wake up rulers. Fear the Lord. Serve Him with fear. Rejoice with trembling. That holy reverence and that healthy dread. Pay homage to the sun, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Lord, I thank You that I take refuge in Him. I do pay homage to the Son. You see how easy it is to pray through the Psalms? It's a wonderful spiritual exercise. And as we think about the cross of Jesus, look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Again, for the sake of time, not being able to go through every one of these facets of Psalm 22, but I'll highlight the ones in which Jesus is surely being pictured. How about what we read from Mark 15 just a moment ago for our Scripture reading? Psalm 22.1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus on the cross. Jesus being abandoned by the Father so that the righteous sin-bearing of the Son of God could take place. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Yes, this is a psalm of David. And yes, when David was being pursued by his enemies and wondering if God was going to deliver him, wondering if one day he was going to be dead, 
and wanting God to deliver him, wanting God to deliver him from that death so that he might live and rule and reign and serve God's people. Yes, it's David, but it's far more than David, right? We know that because Scripture says, quoting Jesus' own lips on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Surely what was in his heart was, I have words of groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Isn't that what was happening with the guards and even with the scribes and the Pharisees when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Didn't we read it? Oh, come down from the cross. Save yourself. It's like the wagging of the head, mocking Him. Even explicitly, verse 8, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, for He delights in Him. In other words, if the Lord really delights in Jesus Christ, He wouldn't put Him to death. He would deliver Him. He would make Him come down from that cross at once. He would be saved because doesn't the Lord delight in Him? Verse 14, This is Jesus. I am poured out like water and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Isn't that exactly what happened? The fulfillment of that very psalm, the fulfillment of prophecy. You say, well, how would you pray that back to the Lord? Oh, Lord, thank you that you went through that agonizing cross. I'm so sorry they mocked you. And I'm even more sorry that in my sin before Christ, I mocked you. I mocked you with my life. I was one who wagged his head. I defiantly refused to submit to your lordship. But because you've opened my eyes, I, I do now see the hideousness of the cross. And I repent. Never let me be one of those who would be counted as wagging their heads at you, Lord. Verse 23, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him. All you offspring of Israel, for He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. And don't you thank the Lord that the Lord heard the cries of Christ on the cross? And delivered him by the very resurrection from the dead. It's a wonderful psalm. How about Psalm 69? And even though we have to go through so quickly for this morning's hour, aren't you glad there are 150 of these kinds of psalms? 
can do it as a spiritual exercise with many of these psalms, all of them, in fact, for the rest of our lives. We'll talk more about that tonight when we practically speak of it, but there's even a a journaling Bible. I have one in the ESV. This is the one I'm using to read from this morning, and it has very wide margins in which you can write so many things and just write your thoughts out to the Lord. And I'm using pencil here, just writing to the Lord, just writing out your thoughts and casting your hopes and dreams and aspirations and fears and anxieties upon the Lord and asking for His help. And even when we come to a time of meditation upon the cross of Jesus, Psalm 69 says this, verse 3, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. That's exactly what the enemies of Jesus were doing. Hating Him. Hating Him without cause. And you remember when Jesus saw His Father's house? It was to be a a house of prayer. And they turned it into a house of merchandise. And they were buying and selling things. And when Jesus in His heart was so troubled at what He saw, that this is supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a house of merchandise, The zeal of God, the glory of God consumed him. And notice what he says in verse 9. For zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. And you remember in the gospel accounts where he just cleansed the temple and quoted that very psalm. Verse 13, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Wouldn't that be so easy to pray back to the Lord? Lord, my prayer is to you at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Thank you for your saving righteousness, your faithfulness. It's new to me every morning. Verse 16, Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. Verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. Couldn't you say it in some way like this? Lord, I will praise Your name with a song. I will magnify You with thanksgiving. And I know that You are more pleased more than even what other spiritual duties I perform with a heart of gratitude toward you. It's not that you look at all of my deeds like church going and praying and giving and serving as much as you look for a heart that is clean and pure before you. Lord, that's what I want to have. 
Verse 34, Let heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of His servants shall inherit it, and those who love His name shall dwell in it. Lord, I love You. Allow me to praise You. That's what it says. Let heaven and earth praise Him. God will save Zion. God, save your elect. Save your people. And allow us to dwell securely. How about Psalm 110? With regard to the cross of Jesus, with regard to the ministry of Jesus, with regard to the work of Jesus, the triumph of Jesus, the victory of Jesus. This psalm is quoted far more than any other psalm in the New Testament. Just myriads of times, especially this first verse. David says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Isn't that so familiar to New Testament readers? It should be. It's recounted in all three Gospels, in Matthew 22 and Mark 12. Look at Matthew chapter 26, just as an example. Matthew 26. How can we pray this back to the Lord? Well, what was the context? How could we pray to the Lord in this way? We can. Matthew 26. Look at verse 63. And remember Psalm 110.1 in your mind now. The high priest stood and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? Verse 63, But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you, I command you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, You have said so. In other words, you are right. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, once I go through the cross and the resurrection and then I come to receive my people unto myself, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Jesus will triumph. Look at Acts chapter 2. All of these Bible writers meditated upon the Psalms, and if they did, certainly shouldn't we? Acts chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. Listen to this preaching. Listen to 
Peter's bold preaching. Verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. An explicit reference to Psalm 110.1. Verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It just goes on and on and on like that with allusions or explicit references to Psalm 110.1. I wish we had time to look at Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 8 and chapter 10 and chapter 12. You look through it yourself and find out how many times Psalm 110.1 is mentioned and it's going to over and over and over again say that Psalm 110.1 is this and link it to Jesus rising from the dead, the power from on high, sitting at the right hand of God and making His enemies His footstool. Psalm 110.4, the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's That's reiterated right in the book of Hebrews and it's referring to Jesus Christ. This is is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen at the end of the age. This is what what the Lord is going to do. This is what's going to happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what's going to go on. This is what Paul says is the triumph of it all. This is... This is an amazing attestation. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. If you want to know how the end comes about, you want to know the final chapter, you want to know how it all ends, everybody always wants to know the conclusion, right? And when you read a book and you're so enthralled and you say to yourself, but I don't know how it's going to end, and you cheat a little bit and you go to the end because you want to know how it all comes out, this is how it all comes out, folks. Verse 24, then comes the end, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father. This is what Jesus does after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. Oh, that'll pray and that'll preach. That'll pray and that'll preach. Jesus, I praise You because You are the victorious One. You will put all of Your enemies under Your feet. Lord, I pray for the end to come. I see the world. I see what it is. I see what it does. They don't love You. They don't praise You. They don't honor You. And those who do not, and those who do not forever will be as those enemies under the footstool of Jesus Christ. One last one, Psalm 118. Verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures 
forever. Verse 4, let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. Have you ever called on the Lord out of your distress? The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Have you ever been fearful of man? Pray this psalm. What can man do to me? In other words, what's, what's, the, what's the worst thing man could do to me? Kill me? Then I'm in the beautiful presence of the Lord automatically. The Lord is on my side as my helper, verse 7. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Verse 13, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. You ever had that sensation in your heart and soul? Lord, I'm falling. I'm falling down. Help me with your sure hand. The Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Verse 19, Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Ever prayed that back to the Lord? I thank you that you are my salvation. And then, of course, as we meditate for the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ, He becomes for all the world two things and only two things. You know what they are? The stone that the builders rejected or it becomes the chief cornerstone of your life. Look at verse 22 of Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 28, You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good for His steadfast love endures forever. Thank you, Lord, that you are my chief cornerstone. You're the cornerstone of my very life. The cornerstone. The stone that holds up the whole building. And how often in the New Testament is that very word of Psalm 118 mentioned? Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20, Acts 4, Ephesians 2, 1 Peter 2, all of those quoting that very Psalm, Psalm 118. It is, it is a psalm to pray back to the Lord. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 4, it says this, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God, choice 
and precious or chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Here it is. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed not be disappointed. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you ask Him to come into your life, to be your Lord and Master, to be your chief cornerstone, you will not be disappointed. He will come in. He'll begin a relationship with you. You confess your sin to Him. You repent of that sin. You place your confidence, your trust in Him alone and He will become for you not a stone of stumbling, not a rock of offense, but the chief cornerstone of your very life. Even Peter brings us to that decision. Notice verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. That's the chief cornerstone for you who believe. That's what you believe about Him. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. It's only two options in life. Jesus either becomes the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense to you or becomes the very cornerstone of your life. You ever prayed a psalm like this back to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that you are the very cornerstone of my life. You're my God. You're my foundation. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. As a preparation for the Lord's table, spend five or eight minutes or so, just silently to yourself, looking at These psalms that I've presented to you this morning are other psalms. Pray them back to the Lord in these ways as the preparation for our communion service.
I mentioned to you that in Mark chapter 16, the reason why the bread and the cup could be celebrated by us so rejoicingly is because not only did Jesus Christ die on that cross, but He was resurrected from the dead. In Mark 16, the Bible says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, They went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, he said to them. Do not be alarmed. He was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I suspect that if you and I were among the company of those women, we would have been astonished and amazed and terrified ourselves and might have said nothing to anyone, but that's not our lot now. We're no longer afraid in any sense. And we should tell everyone. Tell everyone about Jesus Christ arisen from the dead. Pastor Todd. Father, as we come to the table to be reminded of the price tag of this great spiritual privileges that are ours that you have set us apart as a holy people or just briefly meditating on these psalms I just sitting there looking at Psalm 22 thinking how much I hate to be ignored how angry I get if I'm overlooked which I deserve, and yet your son didn't deserve it and yet has to cry out that he's forsaken and and that his perception is that you are far from the words of his cry. He was ignored and rejected so that we could be accepted, and we thank you. Lord, I think about how much I hate to be made fun of or taunted when I read in this psalm that people wag their heads taunt him with their words, sneer at him. I deserve to be not only ignored but taunted. 
he didn't, and yet he suffers it so that I could be accepted in you. I think about how much I hate to be afraid and to hear Jesus prophetically speaking, feeling like a chased animal surrounded by dangerous animals with their mouths and sharp teeth roaring and surrounding him with the power and strength of a, of a bull or the or ravening lion. Lord, that's, that's the danger that the fears that I deserved and yet your son experiences it for us so that we need never be afraid because Satan and death have been conquered in him. Lord, we come as a grateful people staggered once again by the profundity of recognizing what we deserve and what we receive. Equally staggered by what it was that Jesus rightfully deserved and what he received in our place. And we rejoice that though he was rich, he became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. And we celebrate such great spiritual privilege together now at the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen.